Hello, all you reinventors. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I am the founder of Covey Club and of this podcast, Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. And I love when I can stumble upon an interview with somebody who actually has a life experience that validates everything we've discovered in Covey Club unexpectedly. I would not have said this about this interview. And lo and behold, my interview, which is coming up with Carrington Smith Trabu, shows that reinventing outside of your friendship group is easier than reinventing within your friends. And I will leave the discussion at that and you will hear Carrie's own discussion of that and how she discovered it. A little bit traumatic, but she did discover it. Sometimes that happens. And I think you will totally enjoy this interview with Carrie, who started out as a lawyer, decided she did not like it. And she is now a search, she does a corporate search for Fortune 500 companies and law firms. And the most important thing is that she had to recover from trauma that had happened when she was a young girl in college that she had never dealt with. And a lot of us have not dealt with those things. And the thing that we learn as adults, and some of you have learned this already, is you can't just bury this stuff. It's going to come back and bite you at some point. And that's what happened. And here's the positive side of it. It made her a stronger person. And she's become who she always wanted to be. She's got a fabulous book called Bloom, Blooming, Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life. She will talk about what that is and why she chose that title. And what's really exciting is that we have her coming to talk about gratitude and doing a gratitude challenge workshop with us on October 6th and you will get to meet her and get her uh, listen to all the wisdom that she has. So without further ado, I want to give you our discussion with Carrie smith Trabu. Welcome, Carrie. So glad to have you on the podcast. Hi, Leslie. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So, of course, I had to have you on the podcast when you have a title of a book called Blooming, Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life. (laughs) (laughs) How did they let you get away with that title? I didn't know that you were allowed to do that anymore. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are plenty of titles um, like that out there. Cuss words in titles now, they've been doing, I remember last year was all about the bitches. Everything was, this was Uh, a bitch, that was a bitch, right? Well, there's like how to unfuck yourself. I mean, oh, okay. Yeah, there's, there's plenty like that, but there was a really, you know, there was a really purposeful reason why I use the word shit in the title. And that is because we refer to our, you know, difficulties, traumas, um, all of that as the shit. We're like, oh, the, the shit going on in my life. Right. It's a right. colloquial term, but it's also a double entendre. And that is that shit is quite literally fertilizer. Oh, very yes. clever. Yes. And so what I, what a big part of the book is about is about 
you know, as opposed to hiding the difficulties of our life and, and cowering in shame, instead claiming them, taking ownership of them and look and examining them and understanding that they're actually a part of the fabric of who we are. And then changing how you view them so they don't become, you know, things that drain you, but instead learning to use those experiences to propel you through life. And so I, you know, I look at these horrible life experiences and find the good in them, even the worst experiences. Right. Well, and, and growing up, because my childhood was very tumultuous, um, I kept looking for places and people who were quote unquote normal. Yeah. And I remember my first therapist saying to me, well, if you want normal, you can leave now because there's no normal. <laughs> like, just go, go away. And I was like, really? Like, and he was saying to me, everybody has something. You see, he used to say, scratch the surface of anybody's, you know, anybody's presentation out there. And you're going to find things that are not what you think they are. Well, and that's so true. I actually say that people who pretend to be perfect are oftentimes the people who are hiding the most. Mm. Yes. And I think that you, if you take a look at, at people who present as perfect, they also use that perfection to judge other people. Yes. I actually don't trust people who pretend to be perfect. I much prefer to be around people who are authentic and who are willing to be open and share that they have difficulties and challenges that they're dealing with because we all do. Of course we do. And, and the people who, there are a few people who've had very placid, uneventful, no trauma lives. And you know what? They're so boring. <laughs> That's so They're true. Boring. And I agree. But actually, so my, my day job is working, doing executive search. So I interview, you know, leaders at different corporations all around the country. And when I'm interviewing people to see if they're the right fit for a job, one of the things that I actually screen for is if they have had one of those boring, just, you know, routine lives where they haven't experienced any trauma or difficulties that they can identify and talk about, because it's those experiences that help us to build emotional resilience. And if they don't have that skill, they're not going to succeed as a leader at a top company because you need that. It's, it's, resilience is a muscle that the more you've had experience with it, the better you're going to be used, be at using it. And so it's an important thing to have. Totally. I believe that I was fired from my dream job in my forties. I think when I got caught as a ping pong ball between two big corporations, one that was French um, and one that was American and they didn't agree. They had a 50, 50, uh, agreement, which should tell you everything, never yeah. get in between two people who haven't decided who has 51, right? <laughs> yeah. But it made me a better employee because I, I learned so much about, you know, the worst can happen and you can survive that all the things I should have done in my first job, that was not first job, but that job, when I saw things going wrong and I should have addressed them and taken them to my boss and said, you need to deal with this. And I would instead such a goody goody that I would deal with it, which was impossible. Right. Um, 
by my second job, I would just take every one of those things and go, you know what? This is not for me to handle. This is for you to handle. And if you can't handle it, then I think I'm done here. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> and they would always come back and go, no, no, we'll take care of it. Blah, 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 you know, but you don't know that until the worst has happened to you. You're not, you are not as resilient. You're not as tough. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that if I could help people understand, it's when you're going through these experiences that they're actually a blessing because they make us better people. They make us stronger, you know, more gritty, more scrappy. There are different characteristics that emerge um, from these life experiences. And they make you more empathetic as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your background and um, how you reinvented. Where did you grow up and, and what did you start out doing? And how did you very quickly segue to the things that you're doing now? <laughs> well, um, born on the East Coast, raised in Seattle, um, uh, attended Washington State University uh, and then transferred to University of Texas at Austin, went to Tulane Law School. Oh, Tulane, I live in New Orleans now. That's great. Okay. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Okay. So um, go Green Wave. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I practiced law for seven years and decided that that really wasn't for me and then decided to get into the executive search business. And I've been doing this for 23 years now. So, uh, but as far as my reinvention, I mean, I grew up in a very um, strict fundamentalist Christian family where there was a lot of judgment and shame. And my father was a malignant narcissist. Where, oh, oh boy, yeah. we know a lot about those today. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's the worst. He was the worst of the worst on the narcissism wow. spectrum. Wow. And um, so growing up in that environment, I was constantly walking on eggshells and had to learn, you know, have my sort of tendrils out, constantly feeling the environment for what was going to happen next. And so I developed really, really strong intuition. And that has been one of the greatest gifts that I, you know, that I have. And so, you know, part of my reinvention was taking a look back at those experiences and some, and, and realizing that if I was grateful for the gift of intuition, I must also be grateful for the path that birthed it. And that really helped me to forgive my father and get past a lot of those horrible childhood experiences because I understood that there was a, um, a greater meaning to all of them. It does make you who you are. It does, yeah. I had a crappy father as well. He was, um, he was, he was more paranoid schizophrenic. Oh, well, there's that. He <laughs> was like a nut job in that respect. So I understand when you don't have that loving, nurturing parent that you thought you were going to have and that Disney tells you you need. But oh, yeah, you do learn and you do move on and you do become who you are. Yeah. So, so what is the shit in your life that you are finding the gifts in besides your dad? Well, the, I opened my book starting about talking about being raped in college. And that is one of those moments that was so traumatic. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. And I was very determined not to have it control me. I didn't want to be defined by that moment. And 
what happens is, is when you don't want to be defined by something, most of us, I'll speak for most of us, we tend to, you know, kind of shove it under the rug and pretend it didn't happen. In my case, I was actually told by my mother that I was never, I never to speak of it. Oh, it yeah. Wow. No support there. Wow. <laughs> um, so I didn't, I didn't talk about it for six years and it wasn't until I was in law school that I wrote a story. I mean, I, I shared it by writing about it. And that began my journey to healing. But that particular experience, I came to realize through therapy and, um, you know, coming to accept myself, it wasn't my fault, you know, getting rid of the shame, all of that. I came to realize that it was something that it didn't have to be something that drained me. I came to realize that it could be something that could be used to propel me through life. And that sounds crazy. But I came to understand that I was a survivor. And because of that particular experience, people would tell me that I have presence, that I have a quiet confidence about me. And I have come to realize that that trait comes from that experience. Because when you understand that you've gotten through all that Mm -hmm. and you're a survivor, you do carry yourself differently. It's like, kind of like, bring it. What else? <laughs> right. But you had to do your work, right? I had I mean, this to do is my not, work. This is not burying it and just surviving. No, you that's had the- a, You had to deal with it, confront it, do your work with psychotherapy. You had to, you had to actually work it out at some point. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's one of the important lessons that I try to share with people is that, I mean, starting out by actually sharing your experience, whether it's with a therapist or with a trusted friend or, you know, and, and doing the work, getting the help that you need. Um, it's so important. I think that our society where so many people are guilty of minimizing the traumas and experiences of others and telling people it really wasn't that bad. I, I think it's so important to claim it and, and not just share it and do that work, but also stop denying that, it's something that happened to you instead understanding that it really is part of the fabric of who you are and claiming it and using it. I mean, that's so important. So it's, it's definitely a long journey to get there, but I want to give people that ray of hope that even from the worst life experiences, there are good things that come from them. And psychologically speaking, we know that if you bury something, it will come out unexpectedly at unexpected times in your life and you won't know that's what it is that happened to a friend of mine when we closed down the magazine even though we all knew more magazine was going to close her reaction like we knew we were all planning for it It, you know we were there I was there for eight years she was there for a lot longer Um, and she had been assaulted in a college, never dealt with it. She talked about it in passing, but never dealt with it. And when the, for whatever reason, the closing of the magazine triggered something for her and she fell into this terrible depression, she had to go work it out, get on medication and took her a year, but it threw her, you know, and she used to sort of talk about it because we had done a piece about this. Um, about buried trauma that it doesn't go away yes. and I remember her telling me oh yeah that happened to me la-di-da blah 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 and I was like okay and you're okay yeah I'm fine like I never talked to you know like whatever 
And it will, those things will come back and grab you unexpectedly because well, it's trauma. It's it trauma. is. It is. In fact, in my experience, uh, after I was raped, I became promiscuous. Ah, uh, that was how you thought to deal with it. Yeah. I, and it was all subconscious. I mean, I, I, when I first wrote about it six years later, I said I had become the messenger for the message. I kept reliving this trauma that oh. I was only worthy of being you know, mistreated and sexualized. Yeah. yeah. And so it, you're right. I mean, it's something that, that it was a, a new behavior that emerged after I was raped. And then after I started doing the work, of course, it, it got better, but um, I'm no longer that way. But it was definitely something that was related to the trauma and apparently is fairly common with people who've been raped. That's a really interesting point. Yes, because they're going to go one way or the other. Yeah. yeah. In fact, um, when somebody is promiscuous, I actually, as you talk about, I have empathy for them. I actually question why. Why are they behaving that way? What is the trauma that that is coming from? Instead of judging them, I think about there's something else going on here. Totally. So what was the real turning point for you? And did you reinvent more than just your career? Did you reinvent your whole life when you were dealing with this? What was um, my whole life? Yeah, well, actually, so I had, I had num a number of different um, points where in life where things changed. The second one really would be after my second divorce. <laughs> I was never good at relationships because of that rape and while I was dealing with it. Um, anyway, so after my second divorce, I you know, decided to sort of save this little lot of mine. I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to be this authentic Carrie. And, you know, I bought a new house. I had it decorated. I threw a big party and was promptly rejected by my friends. And um, that really set me over the edge. I became suicidal. I was, you know, when they you rejected, sorry, can I ask, they rejected you because you got a second divorce? Well, a little bit of that. Really, I think the reason they rejected me is, and there's a story in the book about um, this Facebook photo profile picture that after this party I threw, I posted a picture of myself from the party where everyone was saying how great I looked. It was a very tasteful photo. And I include a picture on my website and in the book because of this, we call it the boob photo. My friends were saying that it just made me look like I was all boobs. It, their commentary and their rational uh, rationale for wanting me to take this photo down were really not about the photo itself. It was about rejecting me, being stepping away from this relationship and standing on my own was very threatening to them. And I, I know that when we go through these life changes and we kind of emerge as a, a new person, a lot of times that can lead to rejection from friends because they want you to go back to being the person you used to be because that's what they were used to and that's what they had accepted. And so in my situation, when I finally was like, okay, I'm standing on my own, I'm feeling great about myself. And then they threw me under the bus. I mean, it was like, you know, I finally was, you know, living my identity. And when it was so rejected, it was devastating to me. Oh, I can't even imagine. I yeah. mean, it, it, it that kind of fits very interestingly with 
one of the things we learned about Covey Club, and this was not something I would have predicted when I created it, the idea was to help women. We What we say is we hold a space for you while you figure out what's next. Yeah. Because that's the hard part is just having the, the breadth and quiet and thoughtfulness and people to talk to while you're figuring that out. One of the big surprises was finding out that doing it with strangers was better and easier than trying to reinvent within the old friendship network. Oh, yeah, Not, absolutely. Never heard it said like you, but that was because people have an investment in you staying the way you are, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Wow. Interesting. No, I've never heard it said that way. I'm going to actually refer to you now in all my discussions because <laughs> I, that's that's really exactly what we're talking about, but in a more dramatic way. So what did you do? How did you continue with your reinvention then? Well, I, I had to, I had to find new friends. Uh, it got so bad. I actually sold my house and moved to a different neighborhood. And because they actually, because they didn't like my behavior and there was nothing wrong with my behavior. I want to be really clear. They stopped inviting my kids to birthday parties. I mean, they got my kids involved and they People were making up awful. stories about, it was horrible. They were making up stories about me and it got so bad that I sold my house. I moved to a different neighborhood. I enrolled my kids in a new school and, you know, it's been an ongoing journey because even as I came to write this book where I share my reinvention, some of these old friends came back and said, are you sure you want to share that? aren't you worried about your kids being ashamed of you? Wow. Wow. <laughs> so it, it, there are, you know, people will gang up on you and try to push you back into being, you know, into where they're comfortable. Yes. And so the, honestly, one of the greatest gifts of this experience was um, my assistant surprised me by recording my kids talking about me publishing this book. And they both talked about how proud they were of me. And that was the greatest reward of this whole experience, particularly after I'd had these friends that aren't you worried about your boys being ashamed of you? You know, your kids, your family, well, I can't say family, my kids anyway, they, they rallied around me and they love mom being mom and being my authentic me. So that's amazing. That's fantastic. And so are you still living in that town? Because you just yeah. published this book in November. Yes. So I live in Austin, which luckily is a big enough city. Um, I mean, I, I have friends that I've had for life, but there's definitely a core group that I hung out with for much of my adult years that I have moved past. And it's not that I don't, you know, I would love to have relationships with those people, but if they're going to judge me and try to shame me, no. No, I mean, I talk about, when I talk about blooming, I also talk, I refer to this as, you know, being like a garden where I actually really think it's so important to set boundaries so that we keep the rodents out. Meaning I don't allow people to dive bomb in and come back from my past or new people to come in and just shit all over me <laughs> or try to shame me. You know, life is too short. You know, we eat, God gave each one of us very, very different traits. And it's so important for us to embrace those differences and to live those differences. 
And if we don't, then I feel like we're not fulfilling our purpose because he made us different for a reason. And I think one of the things that is so compelling and interesting is we spend most of our lives trying to fit in. Yes. And that's the very opposite of what we're intended to do. And that is to stand out. Wow. Very good. That's true. How did age getting older, which we all do, as I say to everybody, it's not a disease. No, you can't fight it. No, (laughs) we all get older. It's better than the alternative. (laughs) Right. That's how I look at it. I'm like, not dead yet. Here I am. So how did that impact um, your work on yourself and getting to where you are and being comfortable? Well, I think that um, it's twofold. One, and that is when we are younger, we are focused on goals such as, you know, getting married, buying a house, having children, having a career. And when you get older, and some people refer to this as a midlife crisis, but I really think it's a moment where we wake up and go, well, I did all that. Now what? Because we've been so directed at achieving these things that society told us we had to do. And then we wake up and go, what's next? And so as I have my kids at my son just started at Baylor and I have another one that's a senior about to go, you know, next year, as we, as we reach this new place in life, suddenly we switch from being about goals to being about purpose. And so it's like, what difference can I make on this planet? You know, we have a choice. Are we going to be about just seeking pleasure or are we going to be about living our purpose and making a difference? And so for me, kind of getting older, I had gotten past all that other stuff and I realized there was so much more to life and you get, you get kind of cranky, right? Like I'm not putting up with that crap anymore. (laughs) Absolutely. It's a good cranky. I think it is. I think it can go too far. There are times when, you know, there were people we had to work with when I was running more, which was all directed at women 40 plus who got too cranky with us. Yeah. (laughs) Um, too much into no I don't do that it was like well then I gotta hire somebody else who will sorry yeah yeah but yes you I agree with you totally well that has more to do with having a growth mindset or a fixed mindset so I mean I I try to surround my people surround myself with people who have a growth mindset meaning even though we have firm boundaries we are constantly looking to grow and improve and experience new things. And I actually find that I'm more adventurous as I've gotten older. So it's- I agree. Yeah, it's been fun. I agree. Yes. And mindset, it's funny. People ask me, what have I learned in doing almost 200 of these interviews about reinvention? And that is the number one thing that I've learned. It's about mindset. There are people who have more money, less money, corporate experience, no corporate experience. I mean, you name it, they come from parental help, no help, whatever. It's mindset. It is. How did you come to that? And how did you learn that it was mindset? I think, honestly, just (laughs) going through those life experiences, I and, and doing the work, doing the therapy, reading, just all of that. And then the thing that probably the most pivotal point was after that second divorce, um, one of my girlfriends said to me, like, I know this really sucks right now, Carrie, but with adversity comes opportunity. And 
I came to embrace that to the point that every time something challenging or bad or an obstacle comes up, I immediately go to where's the opportunity in this. And I came to realize that this really is truly a shift in mindset. So that was probably one of the most important pieces of advice anyone's ever given me. And I've really embraced that. And what is the opportunity that you saw, say, in a second divorce? What what was the opportunity that presented itself for you? I'm glad you asked that. Um, I think that when we get when someone goes through a divorce, the focus tends to be on what they've lost. Yes, correct. And when I shifted my mindset to what I had gained, meaning I suddenly had a blank slate, I could create whatever life I wanted. I bought my own house for the first time. I decorated it the way I wanted to, which for, you know, woman, you know, that creates a lot of joy. <laughs> I could create, you know, my life without trying to please anyone ever again. I wasn't trying to please my father. I wasn't trying to please a husband. And of course, right. as we know, I wasn't pleasing my friends. So cre- I, when I suddenly realized I had a blank late and that the world was my oyster. It could be anything I wanted it to be. Wow. What a gift that is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's talk about for readers, for readers, I'm always readers. I'm always a publisher, no matter what, for listeners who um, are listening, what are a few takeaways that if they want to change their mindset, the way you did, do you have like concrete tips, like three tips. I know we're going to talk about your fabulous um, download that you put with Cubby Club, which is called the Gratitude Challenge Workbook, which we'll talk about. But do you just have a couple of pointers on how you shift that mind shift? Mind, mindset? mindset? Well, one of, let's start with the Gratitude Workbook. Um, so one of the pivotal moments in my life was I had a friend that was extremely negative And I wanted to be a good friend to her instead of like not hanging out with her anymore. I was like, how can I help this friend get over all this negativity? And so I came up with this idea. I said, let's do this gratitude. I called it the gratitude challenge. And I said, if, will you agree to let's hold each other accountable where every day for 30 days, we have one statement of gratitude and one act of service. Love. Yeah. And so we did this, we held each other accountable and through that process, it was, it absolutely transformed both of us. I mean, she went from being negative Nelly to so positive and she's remained that way for the rest of her life. She's incredible. Is she annoying now though? She's so positive. No, 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 (laughs) no, but she's just, she's, she's supportive and loving and yeah. And so it's, that experience, I wanted, the reason I created that workbook was because I wanted to share that experience with other people. And we've actually created a Facebook group as well, which we're just kicking off. Oh, so that if fabulous. You, yeah. So that if you don't have a person that you can do this challenge with, you can do it in the Facebook group Fantastic. because it's all about actually doing it every day. And so one of the things that's so great about the workbook is we have prompts every day. So I think sometimes when we say, I'm grateful, it's the same thing every day. We literally created prompts for you. So you can really think about all these different ways that you can be grateful. Awesome. Fantastic. That's great. 
And everybody who's listening will be able to find a link for the Gratitude Challenge Workbook. We'll have it in our show notes and you will be able to click on it and pick that up, which is fantastic. Now, where can everybody find your book and where can they find you? Yeah, so you can find the book on amazon.com and it's also available on Audible and it's me reading it. Oh, fab. Uh, Yeah, and my personal website is carrington-smith.com. Dot com, and then all of my social is under at Carrington ATX. ATX? Yes, for Austin, Texas. Oh, okay. I didn't know what that meant. Okay, cool. And it's <laughs> yeah. Carrington like Alexis Carrington for the ones who are older here. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. But I had it, I had the name first. <laughs> okay, you had it first. Okay, so no, yes. no cat fights in Texas. No. Were, you know. People no. pulling their beautiful hair out with each other. Okay. No, sorry. <laughs> Too bad. But anything, it's just, just fantastic. I hope everybody will go check out your books. Certainly go to the show notes, notes and grab the Gratitude Challenge Workbook. I love the idea of doing something every day. It's a concept that I love to do about reinvention. I run a little workshop, which where that's the whole way to build momentum is to, to do one teeny tiny little thing every day. Yes. It's shocking it is how shocking. that can get something moving for you when you feel stuck, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think someone compared to those one teeny tiny things to dominoes or like the butterfly yes. effect. And, yes. and it's so incredibly true. Yes, absolutely. Well, wonderful talking to you. Everybody knows where to find you. They know where to find your book. They know where to find the download. Thank you so much for your time. And I'm so glad that you know all about mindset change, because I do believe that that's the key to this, this whole beautiful outlook for the next half of our lives. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I love talking to people who look at things in a different way. I love the fact that they come to it by their own hook and crook and they have to figure it out. And what I love is that I can pass that information on to you so you don't have to figure it out all by yourself and you can start from where they left off. And if you're really interested in reinvention, I hope you'll listen to some of the other podcasts we have here, 150 women we've interviewed already. And I hope that you'll also mosey on over to coveyclub.com. We have a lot of great reinvention stories for you. And we go beyond just the career reinvention. We do too on the podcast, but we talk about reinventing your body, your health, your life, your perspective. There's so much that can be reinvented. And if you don't want to do a giant reinvention, you can do a small one. Sometimes it's just redoing your look as you get older and deciding, you know what? I don't want to wear those freaking high heels anymore. I'm going to be Miss Crunchy Granola in my next 20 years. And I say that from experience. (laughs) I have all those huge stilettos and they're still sitting in my closet and I'm about ready to get rid of all of them. So come on over to Covey Club. Join us there. We have wonderful ways to connect you with experts. Wonderful. We have a wonderful group of women who will hold a space for you while you figure out what you want to do next. And we also have some events coming up in, and we will be doing more live events uh, as COVID recedes. So we have a lot to offer you if you're thinking about what's next for yourself. And so come join us. Thanks a lot for listening.